everyone. Uh, welcome to our podcast for week 10. Kind of crazy that we've made it through 10 weeks, but here we are. Um, it's our second to last podcast, so this one's probably going to be pretty short this week, but hopefully it's um, a helpful overview of Robert Keegan's constructive developmental theory. Um, yeah, we're going to take it, we're going to apply this theory to adult development and to ourselves and to our practice um, and hopefully have some some insight that emerges from that. So let's go. Okay, so constructive developmental theory is based on, well, two ideas. So the first one being that um, we construct our our own kind of reality. So each of us lives in, quote, like a, a world of our own um, that we construct based on our experiences. And then development, meaning that the way in which we approach the world and the way in which we think about things um, changes over time. And so uh, this particular theory uh it really is looking at not just um, how we add like new skills or new strategies into our framework. So not just the idea of like putting something new into the container of our mind, um, but it's actually focused on the way in which the container changes over time. Um, so again, it's not just about like inserting new things in, but it's really about how the whole structure of how we think, not just what we think, changes as we develop and as our life progresses. Um, and something I do want to be clear about here, and I'm going to mention it again at the end, is that um, this is a theory of, of, well, development over time, but in particular of adult development. Um, but it isn't tied to age the same way. So Robert Keegan hasn't tied it necessarily to age or tied every stage to an age. It's really about um, the kinds of experiences that an adult has and what's expected of them what its society expects, um, or sorry, what, what the individual society expects of them. And so, um, so yeah, so it's really more about environment than it is about age. Um, and so that's just something important to remember. And we're going to talk about that, like I said, uh, again at the end. So the way that I kind of want to conceptualize this or think about it is if you consider like, say, uh, a book from high school. So if you were to read a book from high school today, you'd probably think about it um, a lot differently. And if you don't believe me, go back and read To Kill a Mockingbird and think about all of the ways, um, all of the things that you notice now, all the ways that you see this book and this literature differently um, than you did when you were, you know, 16, 17 or 18. Um, you can also think about it uh, I don't know, it's kind of a more entertaining way to think about it, like Facebook posts. My sister was just saying to me the other day how much, like, the occasional time that she'll check Facebook and this notification will come up and it's like, you know, the like, eight years ago today or ten years ago today you said this thing and she always just knows, she's like, I delete it before I even read it because I just know if it's from ten years ago it's going to be terrible. And... Um, it's helpful to consider like in that kind of situation, it's not just what she is thinking about that's different, but actually how she thinks about things. So she just knows the perspective is not going to be great. I'm sure you can all relate with various forms of social media. Um, yeah, that's not uncommon. So it's helpful to think about it that way when we're considering, um, what that kind of container shift looks like. And that's kind of a foundation of this constructive developmental theory. So... Something else really critical about constructive developmental theory is the idea of the subject-object shift. So this is a really, like, kind of 
uh, fairly deep philosophical question. Um, if you want to look more into this uh, concept, you can certainly look up more information about uh, constructive developmental theory. But basically, what it means is that uh, a subject is something that's a part of us. So it's like inherent to us and it controls us. And an object is something that we are able to control it. We see it as distinct from ourselves. So um, in Keegan's theory, it's not necessarily that uh, that certain things are always subject and certain things are always object, but that we perceive things as being subject and object um, differently over time and that we're able to see things more objectively or be more reflective um, the more we perceive things to be object and distinct from us um, than subject and part of us or a part of our identity. So that's just one of the foundations of this theory. Um, okay, so one example that I have of this, and this is going to, it's like a deep cut. We're just going to get to it. So one example that I have of this, I would say like, um, so, like several years ago, I, I, had a quite an, what is in retrospect an interesting developmental experience at the time it was like just shitty but in hindsight it was like clearly developmentally linked so when we talk about something being subject or being object um what i will say is like in the time that something is subject for you or subject to you it's it's you're not able to see it as distinct from yourself and so for me i went through this phase where I had gotten like really, really close with this group of friends, um, but honestly to the point that it wasn't healthily close in the sense that um, I I began to like find my identity in them, if that makes sense. So like I was happy when my friends were happy. I wasn't happy when my friends weren't happy. Um, other people, they couldn't really be like upset around me because I would get upset um, or I would be really kind of like anxious on their behalf. Um, I only really wanted to do things if they were going to be part of it. I wasn't really interested in just doing things on my own or, um, you know, if we disagreed about something like disagreed about an activity we were going to do, or we disagreed on a particular topic, I would just change my opinion to match theirs or I would, um, kind of concede and just give in. And this actually became a pattern over like over a year with this group of friends and in the moment I didn't see it in the moment I thought that this was the the healthiest that I've ever been because I was so connected you know to this like community and whatever um and and I guess as I kind of progressed past that developmentally I started to have what I would consider to be like these moments of clarity where like all of a sudden I was okay if someone was upset. I didn't have to be upset for them and have to take responsibility for them being upset. Um, you know, I I was I was comfortable and confident, um, you know, in really small ways and then in larger ways, um, disagreeing with those friends, uh, staying home when I knew they were doing something. I didn't have FOMO the same way. And so that was a really significant developmental shift for me because I actually spent a lot of time when I was finding my identity in those other people, I think actually being like really dissatisfied and, um, you know, again, like essentially like emotionally codependent. So, um, as I transitioned and now in hindsight, I can see that, that those people became object for me and not to say that I'm objectifying those people or they became objects. Those are still important people in my life. Um, but 
I now I'm able to see them as distinct from myself and I don't have to take responsibility for their emotion or their experience. And I don't have to agree with them all the time. And my life doesn't come crashing down if, you know, we don't see each other for a little bit. So that for me is kind of the best example that I have of this happening in my life. Um, I don't know that all of my experiences, like as in any theory, align with, um, with constructive developmental thinking. Um, but this is one for sure that I know, uh, for me kind of really rings true. Okay, so we're going to just jump right in in uh, Robert Keegan's stage three, socialized thinking, um, because this is the, the type of thinking exhibited by most adults in society is what Keegan would say. So we're going to start there um, because the, the previous stages are really focused more on like earlier years. So when we're thinking about adult development and socialized thinking, um, we're thinking about like this would be like the model citizen. So someone who follows the rules you know, are, is loyal to the people around them, um, is able to like demonstrate empathy, have abstract thinking, um, but really motivated by not wanting to let other people down. Um, and, and often, uh, this person sees themselves or, or their self is kind of made up of, um, the, the people that are around them. And I want to differentiate this a little bit that I think this is different. I think it's different anyways, than the concept of, like that kind of relational self in that sort of philosophical idea that our, um, you know, our relationships are like reflections of who we are or that we, um, you know, that we develop out of our relationships. I think that's distinct from what Keegan is saying here, which is that, um, you know, we, we don't see any part of our, so when we're socialized, it's hard to see any part of ourself distinct from, um, the kind of rules, norms around us from the needs, uh, and desires of the people that are around us. So again, when I was talking about having my identity vested in those people, that's a real kind of like socialized thinking. Um, I wouldn't say that that's like really a representation of like a relational interaction. I think at the time I thought it was, um, but it was pretty socialized thinking on my part because so much of quote myself, if we, if we think that we have a distinct self, um, you know, was caught up in the needs and desires of some important people around me. Um, and so in this stage, this is often where people will get advice. Like you need to be more selfish. You need to put yourself first. You need to stand up for yourself. And again, like this theory is the be all and end all. That may very well be what someone needs to do. Um, but those things are really things that go in the container. So it's hard to think about like standing up for yourself if, you know, yourself is actually kind of just like caught up in the people that are around you. Um, and so this is where... Robert Keegan would say most adults actually are. Is that kind of in that like, you know, all the way kind of back from like a traditional society, but all the way up until today as well, that most kind of modern thinkers are socialized thinkers that we think in terms of laws and rules and loyalty. Um, you know, a really specific example of this would be like, um, you know, you have, you have two friends that each want to do something different when you're going to go out on Friday night and you just feel like torn between the two of them. Like, you know, you can't, there's a conflict between them and you just feel torn and you don't feel like you have any solid footing for yourself. And that, that would be like a representation of socialized thinking. So yeah, so that's kind of a very quick, very basic summary. There are some really excellent, you know, if you're interested in this concept, there's excellent like kind of uh, podcasts or other articles that are out there. But that's just like a very general overview. So if 
someone who's a socialized thinker is like a model citizen, say in a village or in a small town. Someone who is a self-authoring thinker, that would be stage four, um, would be considered by Keegan to be like an excellent leader. So like maybe a chief of a village or a mayor of a small town um, because they have an internal compass. So they have begun to see the needs and desires of the people around them as object instead of subject. So they're more self-guided, self-motivated, self-evaluative. So it doesn't mean that they're, they're thinking of themselves only. They're able to demonstrate empathy, to take others' thoughts, feelings, perspectives into consideration. But they really have that like internal compass. So they don't feel torn apart by other people's conflicts the same way. Um, and so this would be someone who, again, like has that kind of that like in, internal compass is kind of the best way that I can say it. Um, they have a sense of you know, what's their values of what's important in, in their approach, um, of how they make decisions of what's important to them. And so this would be someone like, say those two friends, again, they're disagreeing about, you know, where they want to go on Friday night. Um, this would be someone who doesn't feel torn by this other person's conflict, um, or this other people's conflict. This is somebody who's like, no, I, like, I, I know that I want to go here and do this thing, or I know that doing this at this time is important to me. So it's someone who is aware of that and can articulate that and sees them as separate from, again, those like social structures, needs, desires of the people around them. Keegan believes that the percentage of people who reach this stage was actually pretty small. So just bearing in mind that, again, the idea was that socialized thinkers made up the majority of the population and that the number of people that reached this stage was uh, not significant. Now, that being said, this theory was also developed, as many theoretical frameworks of development were, quite some time ago. So it's definitely something interesting to consider whether the kind of world that we're growing up in now places different demands on people and therefore more individuals within this framework might, you know, think in this way in the future because of the demands that our society places, like, you know, critical reflection on what's true on the internet or, um, you know, thoughtful involvement in social justice, like, you know, kind of uh, those, those expectations or that like societal curriculum, for lack of a better term, that's very different now than it was even, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So yeah, just something to think about. Okay, and then an even smaller percentage of the population Keegan would consider to be like a self-transforming or postmodern thinker. So this is this is someone who's learned who's, you know, um who's kind of developed everything from the previous four stations, um, but has also learned the limits of their inner system or of the idea of inner systems in general. So oftentimes when we're thinking about a self-transforming thinker, we're thinking about someone who can can look through what might look like difference and see similarity. So instead of, um, instead of seeing distinctions, uh, between, you know, my, my inner system and your inner system, you know, might be able to look through and see what, you know, common, common need we're all trying to meet or what connects us, what links us. And so oftentimes this also looks like seeing in, you know, in shades of gray rather than in black and white dichotomies are not really a part of this thinking style. Um, and if we're, we're going to categorize this in like our, um, village or our town, we might be looking at like an elder or a diplomat, someone who's tasked with, again, like seeing common between different people or different groups of people and bringing them together um, over what unites them rather than what um, separates them. Um, and so 
you know, this is an opportunity, a self-transforming thinker, where we're able to see connections between our ideas of what's right and others' ideas of what's right, even if they're foreign. Um, and, and yeah, so that's like kind of a very brief conceptualization of what that would look like at the, that fifth stage. As promised, I just wanted to close off this podcast by talking about the idea that Robert Keegan was very clear that this construct was intended to be fluid. So as a stage theory, it wasn't intended, you know, perhaps the same way that like social psychosocial theory was, which is to be really like age linked. Um, You know, even obviously in this class, we haven't applied psychosocial theory in an age linked way, but even more so um, this theoretical framework was really designed... um, again, to be applied like in a really fluid way across the lifespan and really with that consideration of environment. So what our societal curriculum is, what our society demands of its people. And so, um, you know, Robert Keegan's idea was that a traditional hunter-gatherer society would place different demands um, on its people than like a postmodern, very technologically advanced society. And so, um, again, like I mentioned, it, it might be interesting to just consider how we think the conceptualization of these stages or the way these stages play out in society might change over time as the demands that our society places on us um, also change. So yeah, that kind of brings us to the end of this podcast. Um, I loved getting a chance to chat about this with you guys. I feel like these are big concepts, so we're going to unpack them more in class, Um, but have a great week. I'll see you on Thursday.